two weeks ago, I was at the barber shop. Yeah, that's right. I get my hair cut at a barber shop, not a salon like the other three pastors here at Standwich. I'm <laughs> um, just kidding there, Nathan. I don't know where you're at, but uh, oh yeah, right there. That beautiful hair. So um, I'm sitting there in the barber shop, and uh, all of a sudden, everybody stopped because unfolding on the television screen in the corner was a breaking news story. Now, I noticed that the barber shop had stopped because my barber stopped cutting my hair. I wasn't too pleased with him at that point, uh, but the Lord is teaching me patience. That's another sermon for another day. And uh, as I sat there, I watched. I watched the news along with everyone else, and I watched yet another tragedy unfold before our eyes. This time it was happening in Newark, New Jersey, and it was another senseless act of violence. And as I sat there in the barber shop, I couldn't help but be reminded, reminded about how broken our world is. We live in a broken world. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. It's right before our eyes every day. Now, some of you are probably sitting there thinking tonight, uh, thanks, Pastor, that's a really uplifting intro. Uh, it's really enjoyable. I was hoping to hear about the baby Jesus tonight. Instead, I came and I hear about this tragedy. Well, what if I was to tell you that actually this child being born in Bethlehem around 2,000 years ago, and that tragedy that I was witnessing on television that day, that those two events are actually connected. And actually, in fact, this child being born in Bethlehem around 2,000 years ago is connected to every tragedy, not only that we witness, but also that we face in our lives. And what if I was to tell you once we figure out the connection between this little child being born 2,000 years ago and these tragedies we not only see and face today, that it actually provides us with something. It provides us with a more healthy outlook on life. So what's the connection? What's the connection between this baby almost 2,000 years ago being born in ancient Palestine, and these tragedies we see almost daily. Well, the connection is simply this. We live in a world that is broken, and it's broken by sin. But specifically, it's broken by sinful people, people who are filled with sin. This is what we're witnessing when we see these things. And what we're going to see specifically in this text today is that that's why Jesus Christ came. You see, Jesus came to save sinners. And not only sinners out there. He came to save sinners like me and like you. So let's take a look at that truth in the text. We're going to look starting in verse 21. This is what it says. This is the angel speaking to Joseph in a dream. He says this. He's talking about Mary. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save the people, or his people, from their sins. So this angel shows up to Joseph, 
in the midst of a dream, and uh, he tells Joseph, Joseph, you already know that you have nothing to do with the birth of this child, but you actually do have a job in all of this. You're going to name this child that Mary is pregnant with, and you're going to name this child Jesus, for he will take away the sins of his people. Now, Jesus is a Greek translation of a Hebrew name, a Hebrew name that maybe you've heard, the name Joshua. And Joshua actually comes from two Hebrew words, Yah, which means God, and Shua, which means saves. Joshua means God saves. Jesus means God saves. You see, he is called for what he is called to do. He's named for what his mission is. You see, Jesus was sent to save the people from their sin. Okay, so not a trick question. What does Jesus save us from? Sin. Sin. Great answer. And this is so important because many will agree today that we need saving. They'll say we need saving from economic woes or we need saving from negativity or we need saving from poverty or from cultural baggage or from disease. But note the promise of Scripture is that Jesus will save us from the greatest human infection. That is the sin virus. So that calls for some explanation. What exactly is sin? Well, the Bible explains that to sin is to miss the mark. It's to miss the mark. So what's the mark? What's the standard that we have to keep? Well, it's to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all of our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And whenever we fail to do either one of those things, we sin. And you see, there's, a, there's a, an aspect, a, a, something that comes from sin, a price for it, and the price of sin is broken relationship. Not only broken relationship between one another, but broken relationship between us and God. That's what sin causes. That's the cost. And so there's something that needs to happen in order to bring healing to that brokenness. And that's forgiveness. And this is what Jesus was sent to do. He was sent to save us by providing forgiveness. Forgiveness for our sin. This is why on the cross... Jesus' first recorded prayer is simply, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So why would these be Jesus' first words on the cross while he's taking part in that divine exchange? Well, that was his first prayer because that was our greatest need. You see, our greatest need is forgiveness. We desperately need forgiveness. And right out the gate at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew explains this. He explains why Jesus was sent to save sinners. And what I find very interesting about the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew, he actually talks about Jesus as Savior more than the rest of the Gospel authors. 
He talks about Jesus as Savior more than Mark, more than Luke, more than John. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think Matthew would talk about Jesus as Savior more than anyone else? Well, I think it's simply because Matthew knew that he needed forgiveness more than any other author of Scripture. You see, when Jesus finds Matthew, he's not a fisherman. He's not some type of tradesman. No, Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors are the lowest of the low. These are the really sinful people, the people who lie, cheat, and steal. And Jesus, when he calls Matthew, he calls Matthew out of this trade, this dishonorable trade. You see, I think Matthew talks about Jesus as Savior more than any other author because Matthew knew he needed a Savior more than any other author. Matthew didn't forget. You see, he didn't forget what Jesus had done for him, how Jesus had provided forgiveness for him. You see, Matthew understood that Jesus came to save him. And he didn't come to save him from anything out there. He came to save him from himself. And in the same way, that's what Jesus does for us. My friends, he didn't come to save us from anything out there. He didn't come to save us from uh, the radical left or the radical right. He didn't come to save us from the rampant secularism of the modern age. He came to save us from ourselves. Because believe it or not, my worst enemy's not out there. He's right here. I'm my own worst enemy. Paul gets this right in scripture. He says, Lord, deliver me from this body of death. You see, and this is what Jesus does. He saves us from our sins. You see, he doesn't only save those sinful people out there. He he saves you and I. He does that. Let's look at that in verse 22. It goes on and it says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So why do we need God to be with us? Well, because God with us provides a solution to my sin problem. I can't provide the solution on my own. So God provides the solution. Through what? The virgin birth. The virgin birth provides the solution to sin because through the virgin birth comes this child who's both fully man and fully God. Jesus is fully man, so he's our perfect advocate to the Father. But he's fully God, so he's our perfect payment for our sins. And this is what the virgin birth does. It provides a solution to my imperfection. So uh, as I continued to watch that story unfold in the barber shop, uh, my barber continued to watch as well, and he continued to not cut my hair. He was a, an older gentleman, and he started to talk to me then about some things going on in the world. And I found this conversation very interesting because I've had a few of these lately. He said something like, our world is falling apart. People today, they're crazier than ever before. Kids, they don't understand what it means to do hard work. They don't understand the value of a dollar. Everything in our nation 
is going off the rails. And he went on for about 10 minutes with this doom and gloom conversation. It was really enjoyable and uplifting, to say the least. And so I listened, and I was patient. You'd be very proud of me. I listened for a long time until finally I couldn't take it anymore. And I responded to him. The problem, sir, it's not out there. The problem, it's right here. You see, the problem is me and you. I probably shouldn't have told him it was you because he hadn't finished cutting my hair yet. But, uh, <laughs> and he listened to me and I said, you know, we can constantly point fingers and blame other people, but I can guarantee you, both you and I, we've treated people poorly. We've lied. We've done things that neither of us are proud of. You see, the problem's not out there, it's in here. And here's the tricky part about sin, the deceitfulness of sin, is it always causes us to be blind to our own and see it in everybody else. That's the dangerous aspect, of, most dangerous aspect of sin. But when you come to Jesus, it's like the Holy Spirit kind of opens up that door of your soul and you realize that, oh wait, the problem's not out there. The problem's right here. In fact, uh, generations have been talking about how the world is ending and how everything is going off the rails. Almost every generation has this same conversation. Around 100 years ago in England, right, at the height of World War I, people thought the world was ending as well. And uh, the London Times, famously, they sent out this question to a bunch of famous authors. And the question was simply, what's wrong with the world today? So all these authors wrote in their responses, all these things that need to change, all these political issues, all these other things. But one of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, responded with two words. What's wrong with the world today? He simply responded, it's me. I am. That was his response. I'm the problem with the world. And my friends, that is the issue. The issue is not out there. The issue is right here. The issue is with me. And I think oftentimes you look at us pastors and you probably think that we have everything together. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's not true. Maybe Nathan, but not me. <laughs> In fact, this past year was probably one of the hardest years in my life. Being deployed with the army, I was full of anxiety and fear. And I mean, I prayed and I prayed and God was with me, but I still had so much anxiety. And so I found myself being drawn back to an old addiction that the Lord had given me freedom from years ago. And it was uh, this addiction to smoking to cigarettes and to vaping, to nicotine really was the addiction. And so while I was overseas, I fell back into this and I started smoking pretty heavily. But I tried to kind of hide it from my soldiers because I wanted them to think that the chaplain still had it together, right? The chaplain can't be smoking, he's gotta be holy. Not only did I hide it from my soldiers, I hid it from my wife, I didn't tell her at all, nor did I tell anyone at the church. So there came the shame Every time I smoked, I felt good, but then immediately after I was done, I felt horrible. 
And the problem with smoking for me has it's always been connected to a deeper wound, and it's a deeper wound of, of really self-loathing or self-hatred. So as I smoked, this wound started to become reopened, and I started to feel hopeless. So then I got back home, and I thought to myself, I'm going to beat this thing all on my own. I'm going to white-knuckle self-will my way through this addiction. I can do it. That didn't work out too well for me. Many of you who've struggled with addictions know that that's the case. You can't white-knuckle your way through an addiction. So it finally came to a head about a month ago when I confessed to some of my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ that I was dealing with this addiction. And it was wild because even in that confession in that moment, it was like something broke. It was like the control and the power was gone. Then I prayed with a brother of mine and I heard from the Lord for the first time in months. And he simply said this, David, you are my delight. You are my delight. And now what I've come to realize is even when I was in the height of my addiction, I was still his delight. He was delighting in me even when I was not delighting in him. And some of you need to hear that tonight. You're struggling tonight. Just know this, that the Father looks down on you and he delights in you. He loves you. He does. No matter what you've done or what you haven't done, he's with you and he loves you. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I've been given complete freedom from this addiction. I still have cravings. I still want to go back. But the Lord is with me in the midst of my struggle. He is. And he's with you in the midst of your struggle as well. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because, my friends, my problem's not out there. It's not out there. And every time I try to say that it is, it's because I'm denying something going on in here. I'll never forget the Christmas card that I saw years ago. On the front it said this. It said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. You see, my friends, this is the truth of the gospel. Our greatest need became Jesus' greatest accomplishment. Because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And not just sinners out there, but sinners in here. Sinners like me and like you. Thanks be to God.